6, before I go into my message. Before I go into this deliverance message, I want to let you know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I have come to see that if we as a church, we want to preach the full gospel, then we have to look at the ministry of Jesus and see what he did and pattern our ministry after that. We cannot pick some areas and avoid some areas. And this area of deliverance is very much avoided in most Pentecostal churches because it doesn't look pretty. However, when the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell clash, which they always do, it is only us, the believers, who have an understanding that we are here, but we are not really here. That we might be here physically, but that we are spiritual, and we have what we call the heavenly places where every action is taking place. We have to realize that we have to clash with the enemy there, and it will be seen here in the physical realm. And so those, or even us, that have areas in our lives that is not making us be the best that we can be, the optimum we can be for Jesus, it is time for us to be honest about it. And it is time for us to face it. And it's time for us to say, you know what? I don't want this anymore. Because Christ is coming back soon, people. You know, if you read the scriptures, it's like you're living it. What is happening now in Ukraine, in Russia, is in the Bible. It says there will be wars and rumors of war. It says this is the beginning of the end. I'm, I don't want to say I'm excited because people are going to die, obviously. But it's exciting to be alive, to actually see scriptures coming alive and you see yourself living scriptures. Jesus is coming back soon, y'all. He is coming back soon, and this is not the time for us to play. If you want to be a Christian, you stay on the side of Christians. And if you don't want to be a Christian, please, let's know which kingdom you belong to. So, having said that, I want to tell you my story. I won't take too much time to let you know that this is a real thing. I was born and raised in a very, very... Catholic religious family went to church as I can I mean as long as I can remember we went to church every Sunday it was Sunday every Sunday only and my uh, when I was born my father's parents were already dead so I only had grandparents through my mom and every holiday some of the holidays we would go there and stay with my grandma and my grandpa my grandfather was polygamous, so they had this huge compound. He had other wives, and my grandmother was in one of the little areas, you know. My grandfather was a herbalist. So he's the one that they knew, they knew the kind of herbs to use for some ailments and whatever. But it was mixed, of course, with the occult and the, all of that. And so when we went for holidays over there, Sometimes they will sacrifice like a chicken or a goat or whatever, and they will, they will roast it and whatever, and we will all eat it. As a child, of course, you're happy. You, you have this meat that's roasted and good to eat. 
And then sometimes they will sit us down, do some incantations. And I remember one time they cut some things on my forehead, little, little, little cuts with a sharp blade, and they rubbed something on it. I remember that. And so I went home and I told my dad what happened. And my dad was furious. And he said he would go to my grandparents and tell them never to try any of that on his children when we come for vacation with them. So he did that. And after that, nothing like that ever happened. But when I turned around, maybe the first time I was aware of it, I thought that when you lie down, there was somebody that always lay you know, with you. So it never really occurred to me that this, this person would only lie beside me on my bed. So around the age of 10 or so, I asked my brother one day, I said, I always have this protector, I called him, lay beside me. He said, that's not normal. Nobody's, you're only the person on your bed every night. Because in our house, we had like four beds in one room, and he was right across from my own bed. And I was like, he says, no, and it was a tall, I mean, I can see him now, tall, very tall, to the point that his legs would go over the bed because he was that tall. So that was when I knew it wasn't normal. Then I went to an all-girls uh, Catholic uh, school, boarding school, and he would continue. would come into my room, uh, room we had the, uh, the, host, the hostel where they just put beds, you know, he would come in there, lay you know, with me, but not want to do anything with me, obviously. Just, just lay down there. So I got saved when I went into university, and I told them. So they did deliverance, but they didn't do it with a lot of understanding. So I didn't see, it went away. It did, it did go away until I got married, the night I got married. That very night, around earlier in the morning, towards the morning, I woke up and I'm like, good luck, where are you? Are you? Because I knew he was, I think, behind me. And all of a sudden, there's somebody in front of me and somebody behind me. So I told him, I said, oh. So he said, what is that? So I, I just told him, this. he said, okay, 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 I know what it is. He said, I know what it is, we'll deal with it. So that night, he started praying and telling the spirit that she's my wife, she's not yours, you don't have any permission, I, I, I recognize who you are, and you better not show up here anymore. So what he did was he told me, I want to do deliverance for you. I'm like, I've already done deliverance. He said, no, there are some things you have to renounce. So I think about two weeks after our marriage, he took me somewhere, you know, like a little lake town, got a room, and I'm telling you, I started saying things, my voice changed. I could hear myself. I could, it's like I was looking at myself doing things that I'm like, I'm a very whatever person. So that's not me to be growling and speaking, but I couldn't help it. And in the midst of all that, when he asked the demon to, rec- to when I said, to, he asked me to denounce or uh, renounce the demon, my, that voice told him, no, she's mine. She was given to me by her grandfather. So, finally, we got that demon out. And to this day, never have seen it. We were married for 30 years and 8 months before he passed away. Never, never have seen that thing. So I'm telling you that to tell you. And once that was done, 
It was like the scriptures became... I've, I've already been a Christian, I'm telling you. I've already been serving God for a good, maybe five, four or five years. But once that happened, I had a, a voracious appetite for the scriptures. And when I would read what I had read before, I'm like, it was this here before, it's like the scriptures just jump at you. You, have the, you want to pray all the time. It's like, oh my God, this was what was making me, I would pick up my, to, to read, I fall asleep. I want to pray, I cannot. But that took that away. So I'm telling you my own story, so that when we go into this topic, you will understand that you can be a Christian and have some areas of your life oppressed. If the enemy can, two things the devil wants to do. First of all, is to make you not to accept Christ. That's his first plan. That's, he will do everything to make you not to want to accept Christ. But if he fails in that, then the second, his second duty is to make sure you are an effect, if ineffective as a Christian, useless as a Christian to the Lord, never achieve anything for the Lord, find areas in your life that he can come in and make sure you never get to the purpose God has created you for. That's all he lives to do. Because he hates you, he hates me because we know Christ. And he hates Jesus so much, and God so much, he wants as many to go with him to hell. So remember that as we go into this message. Now, I put it here, all you need to know about deliverance. We cannot in one service tell you all you need to know. So I'm just going to give you some very basic things that you need to know. Because we've always told you, my husband and I, we've always told every one of you here, you are called. You are a minister. God, once you are saved, you have a calling on your life. And that calling is to set the oppressed free and to break bondages over people's lives. That's one of the things. The commission that Jesus gave us, which I will read, I don't, if not today, next week, it says that the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has set you, He has sent you to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, and to release those that are in bondage. It's for all of us. Amen? So, I want to talk about, about five areas I will touch in. If I'm not able to finish all of it, we'll continue next week. The first one is, you have to realize that we are in a war. Right now, every one of you here, you are involved in a war. It's an invisible war. You are in either one or the other. There's no neutrality in this war. You are in a war. Get that? And in this war, it's the kingdom of God against the kingdom of Satan. I'm going to make it very basic because there are some people here who are not very, you know, they've not grown a lot in the Lord. They're new to the faith. We want to make sure we give them a very good foundation. In Matthew 12, 28, 26 to 28, the Bible says, and Jesus talking, he had just healed a deaf and dumb man by casting out the spirit from the man. And they had never seen anything like that before. In the Old Testament, you will see raising of the dead. You will see healings. You will see all kinds of miracles. 
But in the Old Testament, you will never see one time where a demon was cast out of a person. So when they saw Jesus doing this, they were, not, they were shocked because they've never seen it before. And they started saying that he is Beelzebub, the king or the, the, the prince or the king of the Satan himself, and he's trying to cast Satan out of people. And Jesus said in verse 26 of Matthew 12, If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So Jesus now tells us that Satan has his own kingdom. And then he said, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So very clearly here he tells us there's the kingdom of Satan and there's the kingdom of God. And then he says again, in um, Colossians 1 verse 13, the Bible says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, that is God, and translated us or transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased us our freedom and forgave our sins. So, as a Christian, you belong to the kingdom of God. And then there is the kingdom of Satan. Now, Where is this war that I've talked about between these two kingdoms? Where is it taking place? First of all, how are we supposed to fight in this battle that you are in, that you've been put in, you didn't make a choice about it? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to do some scriptures today, bear with me. I want to lay a good foundation so that when we start helping people, we all are on the same page. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 and to 5 in the New Living Translations, it says we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We don't fight in this battle that we are in with bombs, with guns, with sticks, with axes. We don't fight with that. It says we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. You see that? God has given us, it says, they are God's mighty weapons. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritualities, against principalities, sorry, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So that is what we are fighting. They They are not kind. They are mean. They are evil. They, they do their things in darkness. They hide and they hurt people. They want to hurt you. They want to hurt me. They want to hurt our children. They want to hurt our church. They want to hurt our community. Hurt our nation. Blind people. Give them imaginations and thoughts that is against God. 
They are furious when they see you as a Christian. You don't understand why nobody who, they don't even know you. And you just appear and they are angry at you. Because of what you carry. Because of what you carry. And God says in Ephesians chapter 6 from 11 to 13, He says, put on, who is supposed to put it on? We are. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Two things there. You'd have to stand firm. So there are some people that will be standing firm, but there are some that will not be standing firm. And the difference between them is the one who puts on the armor of God will stand firm, and the one who doesn't put it on will not be standing firm. So it is important then for you to know the weapons God has given you to fight this fight so that you can put them on, right? He says we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Remember I told you it's an invisible battle? Against mighty powers. When the Bible calls it mighty, it's mighty. And so you cannot be weak and fighting mighty powers that you cannot see. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits where? In the heavenly places. I'm coming back to that in a little bit. This battle is taking place somewhere. And we need to know how to get there. If all you see is what you see, you don't see all there is to see. Can I say that again? If all you see is what you see, then you don't see all there is to see. These eyes can only see this far. Spiritual eyes can see way more than this. And it's for you as a believer to tell God to give you spiritual eyes that can see more than you can see. Because until you are there, the enemy will really have a field day with you. He says, therefore, uh, verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, guess what? You will be standing firm. After you whooped the enemy, captured him, tied him down, release his captives, or those that are oppressed, Going there, the strong man, the Bible says you have to learn how to bind him first. And then you can go in, release his captives, take back everything that he's stolen from you, and then you plunder him too. Then when you're done, you are standing firm too. That's what this is all about. That is what deliverance is all about. And we that know these things, we that are walking with God, living with God, serving him, we can help people. There's a story of the young little girl who was walking by the beach and there were all these starfish all over. And she's so overwhelmed that she takes one and throws it back. Takes another one and throws it back. And someone there says, my dear, you, you, you can't help all of them. Just give up. There are too many. They are all going to die. And she picked one. She said, see, I can't help them all, but this one I helped. She threw it in. Picked another one. I can't help everybody, but I helped this one. So we might not be able to reach the whole world, but we can reach Cyprus. We can reach people in our families. We can have this church be a place they say, you know, go to that church. They know how to help people who are demonized 
or who have demons, you know, dealing with them in their lives. We can help that one person. So that's the whole reason I'm teaching this, okay? Now, what are the weapons of our warfare? I'm not going to go. That's a whole series. But let me just quickly go through them. There are seven weapons God has given us. Seven. The first one is truth. He says it's the belt of truth. The second one is the righteousness God has given you. You are supposed to, that's a weapon for you against the enemy. It's your breastplate. It's what covers your heart. So when the enemy comes and tells you, you committed that sin. You are not worthy. You are not righteous. You tell him, oh no, I'm not wearing my own righteousness. I'm wearing the righteousness of Christ. That's a weapon. Then another weapon is you willing to shed, go and tell people about Jesus. He says he gives you shoes that covers your feet. And that shoes is for the preparation to prepare you to spread the gospel. So telling people about Jesus Christ is a weapon against the enemy. It's a big, big weapon. Then your faith is a weapon. You're believing that when you speak and say, you foul demon of anxiety or depression, get out of this person. You believe that. That is a weapon against the enemy because it becomes a shield for you. Your helmet, your thoughts. Because the helmet, it says it's helmet of salvation. Your helmet covers your head. That's where the battle really is, your thought life. When it comes and tells you, you're, you're, you, look at you, who do you think you are? You are your self-esteem, you know, you can never amount to nothing. You put that helmet on and say, no, this is what the word of God says I am. And you use that, that, that word and you cover your thoughts, your thought life. You make sure you think about, like the Bible th- says, all things that are of virtue, all things that are godly, all things that are holy, all things that are of good report. It says, think on these things. You put that on. And then it says, the word of God is the sword we use. Those are the defensive. Every one of the four that I've listed, or the five, those are offensive against the onslaught of the enemy. But when you use the word of God, that's a sword. That's what you use to really destroy him. Put it in and turn it. When you say, thus saith the Lord, I will live, I will not die. God says, he's, he's taking away this or that from me. God says, I will be this, I will be this. And you quote scriptures. When you do that, you are killing the enemies like a sword in your hand. That's what the word of God says. And then finally, it says, praying in the spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, you know why? Because that's the only time, if you're praying with people, even you, that's the only time you say, say, pray in the Spirit because you're praying the will of God. When you're praying in the Spirit, you are in perfect sync with God. You are in perfect sync with the Holy Spirit. And you are doing damage. That is like the missiles. You are throwing that thing into his, into his, his empire, into his kingdom, destroying things. Praying in the Spirit, those are the weapons God has given us. Those are the things you have to know how to use to fight. So if you are a Christian who doesn't read the Bible, how are you going to be able to fight? If you are a Christian who doesn't pray in the Spirit in your own, when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, it's for you to use it in your own prayer life. Those are the weapons God has given us. Now, where is this war taking place? Some of these scriptures, when I saw them, I was like, wow. Everything is in the heavenlies. Everything. Everything. And you say, okay, heavenlies, does it mean, I thought there was one heaven and earth. No, there are more than one heaven. 
There are more than one heaven. Let me show The Bible says this in Genesis 1.1. It says in the beginning, put the scripture up. I want them to see it. In the beginning, God created there. Did he say one heaven? No. Created the heavens and the earth. Go to Genesis 2.1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. So very clearly here it tells you that God created the heavens. Now let's see one thing. Let me quickly go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 2. Paul here saying, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the what? So if there's three, you can't say one, three, or you can't say zero, three. If there's three, that means there's a one and there's a two, right? Before you get to a three. So at least we know there are three heavens, right? Okay. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Ephesians 1, 20. I want to lay this so you can understand. This is so crucial that you get this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, where? In heavenly places in Christ. So all your blessings, guess where they are? Okay. Ephesians 1, 20, 21. Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, which he walked in Christ, talking about raising him from the dead, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, where? In the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So Christ is seated in the heavenly, but far above where the host of wickedness are sitting, right? And then it goes to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 6, to see what God did for us. He says, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and where? He raised us up together. Together with who? With Christ. He raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if you are sitting where Jesus is sitting, are you below or you are above all the powers of the enemy? Far above, right? You need to understand that. Because the enemy will want to make you think that he's more powerful than you are. Because of what he can do. But God says he has raised us together with Christ. And right now, you are sitting on this chair, but you are sitting somewhere else. Where? Far above. You are sitting in, heaven, in heavenly places. Far above. That is so crucial that you understand that. That you have a seat higher and the heavenly places where you are is higher than where the enemy can ever get to. When you understand that authority, when you understand that power, because Jesus says all power on earth, all power in heaven, everything has been given to him. He said, I have the keys. And guess what? He's given us those keys. And what are keys for? 
You just don't put it on you. For, you use keys to open doors. So some of us have had keys we've never used. We have keys we've never used. There are people in prison waiting you for you to use your key. There are areas in your life that you need to use your key. You see, the key thing is, though, is pride. I'm not willing to just say, God, this is where I am. Because if you're a prideful person, you will never agree there's something wrong with you. And that's one of the conditions. Probably in the next two weeks, I'll get to that. For deliverance, you have to be, you, you can't be proud. Because that, that's, just, that's the number one element of the enemy. He was proud. That's what threw him out of heaven. So you have to be so humble. And you have to be willing to let God know, this is me. This is, where, this is what is wrong with me. This is what is wrong with me. Or this is what may be in my family. I didn't ask. I just went to, I just went to spend vacation with my grandma, grandma and grandpa. That's where that thing come, came into me. Sometimes it's not even what you did. Maybe your parents, grandparents were in Freemason or they were in some kind of stuff. They did something and it's just going from family member to family member to family member to family member. And you're wondering, I have fasted, I have prayed. It's not been addressed. It needs to be addressed. You need to call it the name that it is. If it's the spirit of anger, call it the spirit of anger. If you had an abortion, call it the spirit of murder. Be willing to call it because they are very legalistic. And we're not trying to make this where, oh, everything is the devil. Oh, uh-uh, uh-uh. that's not what we're doing. If everywhere right now there are gems, you know that, right? If I go to that door right now and put my hand, they'll probably have some gems in here. But I'm not germophobic. So we're not going to be a church or we're not going to be people who see demons in everything. No. There's something called the flesh. And the Bible says you have to crucify the flesh. If it's your flesh, just crucify your flesh. But there are times when it's not the flesh. When you're a Christian, you have prayed. You love God. You read the Bible. You fasted. You've asked God, I don't understand this. You've done everything. And you're truly, truly, truly following the Lord. Something else is there. And it has to be addressed. It has to be addressed. So that these end times you can walk in the fullness of the power that God has given you. In the fullness of the authority. Let me tell you something. Two weeks ago, I went to Longview, Texas. My brother, my younger brother is in Longview. has a lot of property there, like a ranch. You can go there and just get lost in the... In the in the, in the, whatever. I went there for a reason. Because I told myself, you know, when I took over this position as a pastor, I said every third week of the month, I'm going to go somewhere for my own personal retreat, just my time with the Lord. One thing I did when I went there, I, I've been feeling in my heart to do this series. But to be honest with you, I was scared. No, I take it back. I wasn't scared. I was unsure. Because you know how if you take that helmet off for just a little bit of time, because of what's happened to you, the enemy can come with some thoughts. 
and just assault your mind. Assault your mind and you're wondering, how did I get here? Chanel, after my husband passed, you you must get to know her, Chanel. She's, God brought her here. Her husband passed in December. It's such an amazing thing. Angela came to church one week. The following Wednesday or so, you went to a restaurant, and God led her to speak to Chanel. And she brought Chanel to church two weeks ago. And it's just like, God, you know. So we are, we are speaking the same language. God brought her for me. I believe that. I really do. So, it's like I took the helmet off for that one minute when I thought I couldn't live without my husband. When I took those pills and I was about to take them. And I opened the door to something. So I needed to take care of it. So when I went to Longview to spend time away, I said, God, depression to the point um, of course I, I'm, I, I don't nobody loses a husband of 30 years and 8 months person that you it's like part of you is gone you know trying to even figure out who you are yeah the bible talks about mourning weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning and you know but depression and the spirit of suicide shouldn't come with that not that kind of depression so I knew I had opened the door because of some things that were beginning to happen. So I had to go take care of it. So two weeks ago, I went and did self-deliverance on myself. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm going to be very honest with you. I, I kind of struggled with it, but I should tell it, but I, I will be very transparent. I had to go do it on myself because I said, if I'm going to lead a church, if I'm going to preach to them about this, and I'm going to, there are people watching in Africa. We are reaching how many millions of people on TV? People are watching on, on Facebook and, and, and YouTube. I cannot come here and, and pretend that I'm what I'm not. And in letting you know that, then you know that, okay, if it happens to you, you can take care of it. What I just did was, I renounced it. I said, Lord, you know, you are the only thing I have anyway. You're the only one I have. I've served you all these years. I know I opened the door. For that to happen, I don't want to die. I want to live to declare the, the works of the Lord. I know I've opened the door to allow him to come into my property. And Satan, right now, whatever you brought with that, I command you to leave. In Jesus' name. That was it. And after I did that, I felt better. Do I still miss my husband? Yes, I do. A lot. Do I still cry? Yes, a lot. But I don't want to kill myself anymore. That spirit of suicide, of, of trying to just hurt yourself and hopelessness, there's no future. No, I have a future and a hope. You know, so just, that's just a side, just for you to understand that God has given us. We can take care of these things. Don't think it's too minor. If there's something going on that is not normal, take care of it. So what has deliverance got to do with this world that we're fighting? Remember the scripture, not only are we in the heavenly places, the Bible says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, 
against spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. So Jesus is far above in the heavenly places. We are seated with him where he is. The demons and their powers are where in heavenly places. Our blessings are where? So what are you doing on the earthly places? Where should you be all the time? And how do you get into the heavenly places? Who can tell me? How do you get there? Praying? Staying in the word? Using, putting, once you put on that armor of, of God in Ephesians 6, and you walk in that armor all the time, guess what? You don't walk like mere men anymore. The Bible says, I don't want you to be mere men. When he said that, it's because you are not ordinary. There's a super to your natural. You are supernatural. There's an extra to your ordinary. You are extraordinary. And that's how we should carry ourselves. You are not being proud. You just know the goods you carry. You just know who you are and who you belong to. And when you do that, the enemy recognizes that. And he's afraid of you. So, this war we are in, the enemy, Satan, fears it. He's so afraid of it because when we walk in that power and authority and that clash happens, what is happening in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly places, can now be seen in the earthly place. He fears that because he likes to walk in darkness. He likes everything he does to be hidden, to be done in darkness, done quietly, but destroying people. So when you are in the ministry of deliverance, or when you decide, okay, I want to use this to help people, what you do, he can't touch you anyway because you are far above him. What you do is now bringing what is going on in the heavenly places to show right here. You now become like the wind that nobody sees, but we can see the effect of the wind, right? When there's a hurricane or when there's a strong tornado, you see those trees bend over. That is what you now become. You now become a tornado. You now become a hurricane in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly places, doing warfare, and people can see how the roots of the enemy can be pulled in people's lives. That's what you now become. That's why it's so crucial, it's so important that you know that you bring into open, you will bring into open what the enemy is trying to hide. And you have all the power, the supremacy and the power of God behind you, telling you, yes, go for it. Because Jesus came, he came to reveal and to destroy the works of the enemy. And he's left that for you and I to do. He says in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents. He's not talking about snakes. To trample on scorpions. He's talking about demonic powers. And over all the power of the enemy. And what did he say? Nothing shall by enemies hurt you. So you are protected during this war. You don't need to be afraid. If that demon comes out, you tell it where to go. In the abyss, they hate to be without anybody. They, they like to, they are invisible, but they like to occupy a human being. If they can't get a human being, they'll go into an animal. But they don't like to be without bodies. So when you tell them to go into the abyss, you, that, that's torture for them. But we can do it. We can do it. Luke, uh, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 17. 
And he said to them, go into all the world. That's the commission. And preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Verse 17 is where I'm going to. And all these signs will follow those who believe. Read it together with me. In We just overlooked that. We talk about speaking in tongues. Nobody talks about picking up serpents. <laughs> I don't talk about that too because nobody goes around looking for serpents, right? But anyway, we talk about speaking in tongues. But the very first thing Jesus said, the very first thing he said, in my name they will cast out demons. That's part of what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. That's one of the that's what he said. We follow you, the signs that we follow you if you're a believer. Luke 14, verse 18. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That is what we are supposed to be doing. There are people in darkness in prison houses. In Isaiah 42, it says that, verse 6 to 8, it says, The Lord have called you in righteousness, and we hold your hand. I will keep you and give you a cover, as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will give to no other. But this, this you're supposed to open blind eyes to bring out the prisoners from prison. Those who are sitting in darkness from their prison houses. That's why we've been given those keys that he gave us to do what he wants us to do with them. Understand that. That when this comes to us, when people come to us, we have everything it takes. They are not going to do anything to us. They won't hurt us because they cannot hurt us. Now the question is, can a Christian have demons? This is why most Pentecostal churches don't want to touch this subject. They'll say, oh, can a Christian have demons? Or can a Christian be demon-possessed? Let's go to... Matthew uh, 8, verse 16 and 17. Because it's just one word that was misrepresented as causing this whole confusion. Everybody paying attention, please don't sleep today if you are one, if you tempt, because I will cast that demon out. <laughs> yeah, there's a spirit of slumber, you know, that talks about it. Where you, you can't stay, you know, in church, you must fall asleep. Or you want to read the Bible, you fall asleep. I, I dealt with that. You have to be taken out. So if I see you falling asleep, I'll, I'll get that demon out. Matthew verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 16 to 17, it says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So that, that demon-possessed has been the controversy in Pentecostal circles about, can a Christian be demon-possessed? But that word, possession, 
literally in the Greek, it means to have demons or to be indwelled with demons, which means almost like you have a, a property and the demons come in as trespassers. It's almost like you trespassing. That's what that word literally means if you get uh, the, the root word of that demon possessed. So as a Christian that is saved, bought by the blood of Jesus, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, if you talk about possession, the way we talk about possession, I possess this uh, purse or whatever it is, or I possess my car because I paid for it, it's mine. In that way, a Christian that Jesus' blood has paid for and bought cannot be possessed. Your whole personality, your spirit cannot be possessed. However, just like you have trespassers, we can open a door. We cannot be taking care of the property God gave us, or you are supposed to be in the kingdom of God, and you've decided to go and put your foot in the kingdom of the enemy, guess what? He's going to grab that foot and he's going to do whatever he can to that foot. So that's pretty much what it is, trespassing into your property. And the day you realize that he's trespassing and you don't want him anymore, what do you do? Leave my property. It's as simple as that. But those who don't know Jesus, he can come in and take over their lives Take, possess them, do whatever he wants because they don't even know they're under the possession of the enemy. So that's the difference. So let's just let that, you know, be very clear. A Christian serving the Lord, doing the best they can to follow God cannot be possessed. Because your spirit has been bought by the blood of Jesus, you cannot be. But you can have areas in your life that the door has been opened either by you or by your parents or by your upbringing that has allowed the enemy somehow to come in and start causing you some trouble and oppressing you in certain areas. Did I make that very clear? Very good. Because that is so important that we understand that. Because that's some Christians who say, oh, no, 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 a Christian cannot be possessed. Yes, a Christian that is really following God cannot be possessed. But a Christian who backslides completely says, I don't want to serve God anymore. I'm no longer a Christian doing all the things that the, the devils do. Guess what? The backsliding Christian can be possessed. Even Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will go into the kingdom of God. He said that. So it's not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, that's truly following him. Are we clear about that? Good, good, good. So let's look at the gateway for demons. Oh, are you serious? It's 12 o'clock. Okay. The gateway, I was going to start with the flesh because we have major gateways for the, for the, for the demons to come in. The flesh is a big one. I will, I will go about that next week. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. In Galatians 5, 19 to 21, the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, and with hatred comes unforgiveness, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, somebody who just gets angry for no, just an angry person, selfish ambitions, heresies, dissensions, envy, murder, drunkenness, reveries, and the like, of which I told you before, just as I tell you in the past, 
that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if a Christian opens themselves up in any of these areas, you have opened the gate for the enemy to come in. You have opened the gate for an area of your life to be oppressed. First Peter 2.11, the Amplified. Beloved, I implore you as aliens and strangers and exiles in this world to abstain from the sensual urges, the evil desires, the passions of the flesh, your lower nature. You have been placed far above that. And if you bring yourself down to your lower nature, it wars against your soul. You give the enemy a door, an opening to come in to oppress you. Colossians 3 verse 5 in the New Century Version. I'm just going to read scriptures. So put all evil things out of your life. Sexual sinning, doing evil, letting evil thoughts control you, wanting things that are evil and greed. This is really serving a false god. It makes, the Bible makes it very clear. The things you can do in your flesh that will open the door for the enemy to come in. And like I said, humility is where this is. For you to say, God, if you really, if, that's if you want to be used. And I know everyone here wants to be used by God. But these are areas that you will have to say, God, I'm going to be very honest with you. This is what is going on with me. And you might just be surprised. You can't do it. Next week and the following week, I'll tell you what to do to do self-deliverance for yourself. And if you feel like, okay, I need somebody to help me, I'm here. You can come during the office hours if you don't want to be here. Whatever we need to do to get those demons out. We will do it so that we here, we know what to do, have done it on ourselves, we've driven those trespassers out, so that when people now come in here, we know what to do. We know how to help them. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 2, 22 to 24. It says, put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. Who is going to put it on? You. You are supposed to put off the old man of your old nature. And you are supposed to put on the new man. The new man, uh, new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Nobody wants to talk about holiness. We want to talk about the love of God, the love of God, God there, God loves me. But nobody wants to talk about you not sinning. Nobody wants to tell you that without holiness, no man will see God. Nobody wants to tell you that those things, those secret things you are doing that is ungodly, you need to stop it. Because what it will do, it might seem pleasurable for a moment, but the wages of sin is death, is spiritual death. You cannot become an effective Christian if you don't take care of those little foxes. You have to take care of those little foxes. When a believer allows the flesh to dominate and do not repent and turn from their sins, they have allowed demons access into their lives. And those demons are not coming to play. They will oppress you. They will torment you. They will make sure you never become all that God wants for you to be. What are the other gateways for demons? I just talked about my own experience, generational entryways. 
familiar entryways. You married and got divorced. Whoever you got married to was with somebody else before they married you. And you've just been collecting everybody's spirits. Anything that is connected to them has become connected to you. You need to break all of those. Soul ties. Trauma. You can have such a traumatic experience. The enemy actually takes advantage of that. Childhood experiences. If you grew up in a home where it's fighting all the time, conflict all the time, so much trouble all the time, it does something to a child's soul. And the enemy comes in there and grabs it. And that child, until somebody addresses it, they are going to deal with certain things all their life. Until somebody says, enough is enough. And how do you know a demon is present? I'm just going to go through this. There are ten points, and I'm not going to try and explain them, but I'll read them. You probably will get it. If you are experiencing any of these things, I'm just trying to, you know, I I get angry sometimes, so you all understand, right? I've told the enemy he would pay for the pain he's put me through. I'm bent on him paying. So how can you identify a demon? Or how can you tell if there's a demon in operation? Number one, easily drawn and enticed into a particular sin. If there's something that you know is a sin, but it it just pulls at you all the time, no matter how much you want to go away from it, but that thing just is like a rope around your neck. There's a demon present. Harassment. For example, things happening about the same time every month or every year. When there's a pattern, there's a demon present. Mental anguish, torment. Unforgiveness. Too much fear, just afraid of everything. Emotional, just, you're just always depressed, never happy. Or you are just so anxious. This has been very rampant since the COVID. We have a lot of people that are not here today because fear has just bound them up. They are so afraid of even their own shadow. Because of what this thing brought, some people open the door and they become so afraid. Compulsive behaviors. Sudden urges and constant urges of rage, for example, hostility. You know, feeling just, there are some people, they, they will just buy and buy and buy even when they don't have money. It's just a compulsive buying of things. Compulsive lying. There are some people, there's no reason to lie, but they just, that's just them. They just lie. They open their mouth, they can't say the truth. Gambling. There's no money to pay the rent. You take the rent and go use it to gamble. That's a demon. Those that cut themselves, self-mutilation, you, you, I mean, it's going to be painful, and yet you can't help yourself. You take that blade or whatever it is and you cut yourself. That's a demon. This one, I'm going to say it. Compulsive eating. We don't want to talk about that in church. But it's a demon. When your children are eating, and you take the food, you know they are hungry. 
And you take the food. It can be that bad. You take the food from your children and you eat it. And let your children go hungry. That's the extreme of it. When you're full, you're full. Because if the enemy can break down your body, you can be as anointed as God can anoint you. But if you don't have the body to carry it, your anointing will go nowhere. So you have your body. And any, <laughs> the enemy is not playing. It's not playing. Any way he can hinder you, he will hinder you. Enslavement. This is where you have lost all your freedom or your choice of action. It's like you're driven. You hate what you do, but you cannot stop it. It's like an intense desire to just do it. For example, those that are addicted to alcohol, drugs, pornography, masturbation. It's like you hate yourself, but you cannot help yourself. That's a demon. Slumber, sleeping too much. Especially when the word of God is being preached or when you want to read your Bible or when you want to pray. The Bible talks about the spirit of, of, of slumber. The, good, the thing about that spirit, when you put on a movie, that spirit wakes up. When you play your video game, that spirit is awake all night. But you pick up the Bible, 15 minutes you are sleeping and yawning. When you want to pray, you cannot pray, you fall asleep on your knees. Do you think that's normal? That's not normal. Mm-hmm. Everybody's saying, ooh, I might have something I need to let go. Oh, my goodness. Deception. All forms of spiritual deception usually starts with pride. If you're a prideful person, you think you know it all, you've opened your door. That's the biggest thing because that's what caused the enemy, Satan himself. He was too prideful. He knew more than God. And God was, you can't have God, two gods. Pride is a big one. It's the doorway that leads you know, to deception. Where you now say, well, all the Christians, they, are, they don't know what they are doing. They are all, I'm the one that knows the, tr- the real true way. And so deception. Involvement in the occult, either by you, if you've ever called a psychic person, if you've ever read your palm, uh, Ouija boards, fortune telling, horoscope, yoga. I read about, I have a book I'm working, reading now about what the root of yoga. You will not, I'm telling you, it is where the new age, Freemason, all of that. Either by you or any of your ancestors, your parents, grandparents and all of that. There's a demon somewhere if it's not been addressed. Extreme restlessness in a spiritual environment or unusual anger towards spiritual things or godly people. That your child doesn't want to be in church, hates anybody that represents the church. If somebody's sitting, they come to church, they're so restless, they want to leave before the service is over. It's like they're being tormented. There's a demon in place. And then finally, paranormal experiences. If you see things moving in your home, we've had dealt with a girl, my husband and I, that was, not, that was probably about a, a two years ago now. She would just see things move in her home. Or things would disappear. She knows she put this thing here and she comes back. It's not there. I mean, happening over and over and over. Hearing voices. 
or people that talk in third person, instead of calling themselves, they, call, they talk in third persons, there's a demon involved. Because the demons always, if you, if you read anywhere they spoke to Christ, it's always I and we. I, they never go alone in one. When they find a place, they always have, they bring others with them. So, stand up to your feet. I'm doing this today because I want to lay a very basic foundation. Very, very basic foundation. If you're here and you say, wow, this is very eye-opening. I want to talk to Pastor Angela a little bit more. Yes, I'm willing. Just let me know. You can always reach me. I'm in the office here on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But let's do something here. Like I said, humility and openness is the key. And not being, don't care about what people say or what people think. Because I'm going to first of all lead us, those that want to, if you don't know Christ at all, you've never been saved, that's the key, that's the first thing you have to do. But after you've been saved, and you say, okay, I want to, have somebody pray with me, a Pastor Angela, one of our pastors, to get one particular thing I know is, is there. I'm going to be here. Some of us pastors will be here. Everybody can leave, you know, when you're like, and you want to just stay behind, please do that so we can pray for you and pray with you. But just close your eyes this morning. All this we have talked about will not even start working in your life if you've not given your life to the, to the Lord. Jesus came that we all might be saved and spent eternity with him in heaven. So if you've never officially received Christ into your life, you've never said the prayer of salvation, you've never said with your mouth and believed with your heart that Jesus came, he died, he was, he was buried, and on the third day he rose, and right now he's seated with God, with us in heavenly places. If you've never believed that or, or, or spoken that, I want to do that with you this morning. So you can receive Jesus. That's the, that's the beginning. Once you receive Jesus, he translates you from the kingdom of darkness into his own kingdom. The kingdom of marvelous light. So if that's you this morning, just raise your hand up quickly and put it down. If you've never received Christ, and if you're watching at home, watching on TV, Internet, YouTube, if that's you too, just repeat the prayer after us this morning as we pray to receive Christ into your life. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and that without you, my place is with the devil for eternity. But today, Lord, I receive you Jesus Christ into my heart as my Lord and as my Savior. I thank you for saving my soul and for writing my name in the book of life. I know, Jesus, that when I pass from this world, I have a place with you in heaven. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And as they are just singing right now, very softly, if you have any need, if you need us to pray for you, I want the prayer partners to please come. If you want us to pray for you, you have any need in your body for healing, for financial, financial uh, help, you just want someone to believe with you. 
but also if you have something you want us to help get rid of in your life i'm going to stay over in that corner if you want to come to me just come to me what i would do is to have you first of all repent of what that thing was and then we will name it and then we will just tell it to leave it's as simple as that so as we dismiss this morning as you go home, I want to pray over you that this week will just be a blessed week, that God will go with you, the blessings of the God will overtake you in everything that you do. Just raise your hands as we close this service. Father, we thank you. You said your goodness and your mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. We receive that for this week and for the rest of our days. Let your goodness, let your mercy, let your favor surround us like a shield this week. Let us find favor with men, everyone we meet. Let us find favor with them because we have found favor with you. We thank you for a wonderful service. We thank you for speaking to us. And we're ready to do what you've asked us to do. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So I'll be here if you want us to pray for you. I'll be here to pray for you.